0: Hello and welcome back to Trigonometry. as you know, we put out an interview here every single Sunday once a week, but what we thought we'd do is we've got a few extra episodes in the bank where we talk to somebody about something that's not really a core subject, a core issue that we normally talk about, so we've got a few slightly shorter slightly different episodes that we'll be putting out, and this is one of them so sit back, relax, and enjoy
1: what do i get do I not get to speak
0: thankfully not
1: what Right, Anton, on oh, mic me, I'm done, I quit. <laughs> right, that's it, I'm off. See you later. The podcast is gonna be a lot better now. <laughs> um. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Konstantin Kissinger. And this is a show for you if you're bored with people arguing on the internet over subjects they know nothing about. At Trigonometry, we don't pretend to be the experts, we ask the experts. Our brilliant
0: guest this week is a former drug dealer and the author of Dope World, which is this book here, which we'll be talking about. Nikov Orobioff, welcome to Trigonometry.
2: Hi, thanks very much for having me. Uh, What's up everyone at home? What's up mom? Sorry I wore this shirt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the first shout out to your parents we've had on the show. Fantastic. (laughs) Welcome. Uh, Listen, before we get into the interview, just tell everybody you've had quite a journey through life. So tell us a little bit about what, what it's been like.
2: Um, yeah so uh, originally I was born in um, in Leningrad and what was then the glorious Soviet Union um, came to Britain about the mid 90s and uh, lived in Bath which is a great sort of city for visiting if you're a, like a French student on the exchange trip but when you actually live there it's kind of eh. Um, so yeah, it's enough to turn a man to crime, which I did. <laughs> uh, I wasn't very good at it. I got
0: caught and because I still have no work ethic, I became an author.
1: Mm. So
0: here we are. Yeah, uh, well you, you summarized it quite neatly, but actually I think having read the book, your story is much more detailed than that. And you, you've traveled around the world looking at the the war on drugs and drugs in general and stuff like that, which is something. So yeah. the book weaves your personal story with some of the experiences you've had elsewhere and the research that you've done into the, in, into drugs.
2: Yeah. So um, one of the one of the few good things about prison is I had a lot of time to read. <laughs> um, so I kind of became um, quite obsessed with like um, the whole reason why uh, certain things are legal and certain things are not. Mm. Um, so, cause for me, um, when I was a drug dealer, none of the stuff I saw was like the sort of stereotypical kind of like pimping out junkies when they can't pay their 20 quid crack rocks.
1: To be fair, Nico, you were a drug dealer in Bath.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is also true. Um... But yeah, uh, so I like, for me, it struck. I saw myself more as kind of like a like a bartender, you know. Mm. So it wasn't um, unfair that I got locked up because, like they say, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. But it did kind of something did seem very off. So I started reading a lot about it. Um, In jail, you get obsessed with certain subjects very easily because you have nothing else to do. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, I kind of got obsessed with that. And afterwards, when I got out, um, I got probation so I could leave the country finally. I, um, I started going around the world, I went to places like uh, Russia, Iran, Philippines. I just wanted to find out more about this, uh, the drug problem. And uh, yeah, the result is this book.
1: I mean, so what, what were you selling when you were a drug dealer? Was it just weed or were you selling the hardest stuff?
2: uh sweet coke mdma so basically everything you need for a good night out
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> sounds like you're still working right now man um well and so what happened to you just tell everybody before we get into some of the research that you've done and the stuff like that uh you you were selling the stuff you you went on the tube in london with some coke in your pocket is that right
2: uh yeah well it was um it was mdma um oh, mdma okay so basically, I'd moved to London because I was going to uni there, and I I know that one of the tactics that um, the Met uses to get a few easy arrest stats is they stand on top of the escalators with some uh, sniffer dogs, and um, that's why I always tell I was aware of this tactic, so I was always tell people don't take drugs on the tube. There are dogs on the tube, or if I would have to do that, I um, I put it in a glass jar because it takes a while for smells to get through glass. Uh, but that day I was in a rush, so I thought, fuck it. Uh, I just put like um, a few wraps of MDMA in my back pocket and I set off. And the dumb thing is, I actually got off at the wrong tube station. <laughs> I got off at Tottenham Court Road. If I got off at Goode Street like I was supposed to, none of this would have happened. I wouldn't be here. Um, probably have a real job like writing up Excel spreadsheets somewhere. Um, Yeah, but here we are. Uh, I was actually, when I was arrested, so what I had, uh, it's it's about three grams, so I could still blag that was a personal amount, but they're in half gram wraps, so it looked like six grams, so there's not really much I could say there. And when they went to my house, and my housemates were still there, and they'd actually ordered a pizza half an hour before the feds came. So the pizza man... And the police came at the same time. And there was a very confused pizza man walking up the stairs (laughs) while these coppers are taking down like massive bags of weed, like bags of cash. And yeah, I got uh, two and a half years of which I did just under a year because I didn't start any fights. Right.
1: Right. And
0: how much money were you making as a drug dealer?
2: Right, this is one thing that annoys me about drug dealers a lot. They're saying like, oh yeah, I made like two grand this week. But like, at least like half of that money is gonna go towards buying more drugs because you have to have a sustainable business model. Mm. But like in terms of pure profit, I would say... I was probably on about like 22k a year, give or take. So like, yuppie salary. Right. 22k a year like in just profit not like oh, okay right okay
1: right, right, right. right, right.
2: like if it's the money that passed through my hands probably some more like 50 100 mm.
1: yeah
0: something like that i love how what annoys you about drug dealers <laughs> is their <laughs> poor accounting practices more yeah. than anything else You're like, these right? guys are selling drugs that are killing our kids but fuck them they've got shit accounting <laughs> practices that's what really pisses me off right um so you you get caught you you go to jail for officially two and a half years you come after a year Mm -hmm. and in in the time you kind of started to question well why is the stuff that you had in your pocket illegal but tobacco alcohol uh, etc why are these drugs legal those two in particular are the big ones
2: yeah so for example like i do sell weed and there is not a single record of weed killing anyone ever in the history of mankind not like directly anyway and then maybe someone fell asleep in the wheel and crashed, but that's not direct. But I do have like one friend in Russia who killed four people in a drunk driving accident. And that's kind. Of, you can directly pretty much link that to alcohol. So I thought, why is this one... If anything, when you're stoned, you're a more careful driver. You slow down more.
0: <laughs> I feel like we're promoting all the wrong things in this episode. It was like, if you want to be a drug dealer, do not take drugs on the tube. Yeah. You know, be careful when you drive stoned. Mm-hmm. Like, what other tips have you got for us, Nico? <laughs> Uh No, but but the the main thing actually is. The impact on on your own body from consuming drugs, yeah right, because tobacco and alcohol are incredibly toxic and mm-hmm. bad for you. there are other drugs that are not, and also in terms of their psychic um not psychic psychological effects right yeah. there are you know marijuana for example, there are some people there's there's a link to psychosis, but yeah. broadly speaking it's a drug that makes people into nicer people, whereas something like alcohol or cocaine (laughs) really doesn't, right? Yeah. yeah. So you've explored some of that as well. So why is it that these harmful, unpleasant, dangerous, antisocial drugs are legal, and yet there are other drugs which you might say are not as bad, which are illegal? How How did this start?
2: I think like um a lot of it has to do with uh it's not so much the effect of the drugs themselves it's like some social political or cultural thing that was going on at a certain time which led to that uh so for example I was in Iran mm. and there okay well in Iran pretty much everything is illegal like you can get arrested for having the
0: wrong haircut even but, um, you'd be locked up mate <laughs> <laughs> according to our fans, anyway, yeah. trigonometry fans would get in Iran want you locked up, yeah, they true. they do <laughs> not just for the haircut
2: um so one thing that's funny in uh, uh in Iran is um so alcohol is it, it's it's it'll be legal for us because we're not we're not muslims, so it's it's also legal for all the uh the Armenian refugees who fled the Turkish genocide, the descendants of them. Uh, So basically, yeah, if you want some booze and alcohol, call Kim Kardashian. (laughs) But um, What's funny there is that opium, it's very much, they're both illegal, but opium is kind of more tolerated because there's nothing in the Quran, there's nothing in the Islamic law specifically about opium. And if you really want to dig deep, like according to some interpretations, it's only a very specific kind of alcohol, which should be, they've blanket banned all alcohol, but In some interpretations, a very specific kind of our culture be banned. Um, So that just gives you an uh, an idea that around the world, different cultures view this differently. Uh, Another thing, so weed, originally, uh, so when weed was banned in America, it was 1937, I think. And the American prohibition lasted from 1919 to 1933. So there was 14 years... Where smoking a joint was legal, but having a drink wasn't. Mm. And the reason, part of the reason that happened was, uh, so there was like a bunch of these uh, prohibition narks, uh, led by a guy called Harry Anslinger from the um, Federal Pure Prohibition Bureau. And once they saw that the sun was setting on the booze ban, they they didn't want to like sit around with their dicks in their hands waiting to get redundant. <laughs> they wanted to get another job. So one way. They did that was they started stoking fear about marijuana. So they made uh, they paid for films like um, or they supported films. Sorry, like *Reefer Madness*. Great movie, (laughs) great movie. Have you seen it? I haven't. Oh, it's hilarious. The piano scene.
1: Oh, it's incredible. It's just... Faster! One... <laughs> Faster! <laughs> it is one of the funniest films I've thought. It's top ten funny films. It's brilliant. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Reef of a... Madness. Really? Check it out. From the 30s? Yeah, it's, is it from the 30s or the 40s? Yeah, it'll be the 30s. Yeah, really? yeah. yeah it's very funny.
2: There's Fish Called Wonder and there's Reef of
1: Madness. <laughs> 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 but, but it's interesting. So what you're essentially saying is that it was just a way for the police to guarantee themselves a job.
2: Yeah, pretty much. That and... Um... At the time, there was a big influx of Mexicans, like refugees from the Mexican Revolution. So people were quite scared of them. So they, um, uh, so it was easy to kind of... If you kind of attached Mexican immigrants to cannabis in the media, you'd scare like the white working class more and they'd be more likely to support measures against it, which is part of why um, in America... Well, here we call it cannabis more. But in America, they call it marijuana because it sounds
0: more Mexican. It's so like marijuana, tijuana. Mm.
1: Ah, there you go. That's very, very interesting. That is
0: interesting. So so part of it is kind of maintaining the, the police force having something to do. Mm-hmm. And part of it, as you say, is, is about uh, creating tensions between different ethnic communities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the United States actually essentially forced everyone else to join in the war on drugs, didn't they?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um is uh nine like drugs or some drugs were sort of gradually being banned around the world already um so for obviously like China had the the opium wars uh so they took a harsh stance on anything psychedelic but it was really America which got the the u n involved mm. and made everyone sign a binding treaty. I think there are some countries that held out I think like nepal didn't sign up to like the seventies, which is why Nepal is like such a great destination for hippies in the 60s. Uh it's known for its hash. But yeah, it was mostly America. But what's what's funny now is that like now America's kind of backing off. So like even someone like hardline like Donald Trump, they're like saying that uh cannabis, marijuana, legalization is like a state's history is pretty much um staying out of that. Like he is a douchebag on other fronts, but I, I appreciate that stance. Uh, broken clock is right twice a day. But it's other countries like uh, China, Russia, Iran that are fighting the drug war the hardest, I think.
1: And so you, you've been talking about it. It's essentially jobs for the boys. But can't we all just admit that the drug war has failed? It's it, it, You know, we talk about a drug war and essentially... It, it hasn't won. It's, we, we filmed this in London. If I want to go and get cocaine, it will take maximum 15, 20 minutes. And that's because you're yeah. South yes, American, man. <laughs> yeah, just smell it out. Venezuelan connection. Yeah, yeah exactly. I just called Pablo up. <laughs> <laughs> and He'll bring some round. It'll be good quality shit as no, well. No, but you, you make good cut, point. Cut with Hugo Chavez's ashes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is going nowhere near my fucking body. Oh, that is a dark <laughs> image right there. But,
0: but Francis makes a good point, which is... Drugs are everywhere, yeah, hundreds of thousands of people have been killed around the world, probably more over the time the drug war has been waged. It doesn't seem to be succeeding. Why is it still going on? um I think just a, it's a status quo thing, like it's very
2: difficult for politicians to get in front of a mic and say like, "Hey guys, remember that time we spent loads of money? Uh, <laughs> we sent a bunch of you to jail." <laughs> tore apart your families, uh, started off wars in third world countries for no good reason. Yeah, about that. Like, it's it's very hard to do a sort of a, t- a U-turn on that, you know? Like, any politician that tries to, they're going to be seen as soft on crime. Mm. So there was um, uh, one person I met, uh, he's a, he was a former police chief of brixton i think uh his name's brian paddock mm. so he basically um he ran for parliament didn't yeah.
0: he? I think
1: he was he, a lib dem yeah he was he's a, he's a,
0: he's a peer now he's a lord oh is he yeah okay
1: wasn't he also as well he ran for the city of london mayor
0: yeah, i think he might have
1: done yeah yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah so you, you met him when he was working for the police did you say in brixton? no when, when when
2: he was a lord already oh yeah. all right you yeah. met him when like, he was literally earlier this year right oh okay. yeah, yeah. But um, so he had a, a policy in, uh, I think, 2002, 2003, where he basically told his men to, like, lay off the weed. So if they saw someone smoking, like, they might give them a citation, uh, take the ganja off them, and then that was it. And what happened was it freed up a lot of police time where they could solve real crimes. So, like, I think, like, the burglary or the street, the mugging rate, like, halved, mm. and also, like, the arrest for uh, harder drugs like crack and stuff went way up, but then of course the Daily Mail got wind of it and um, Yeah, he's, he was accused of being soft on drugs and there was like some kind of smear story in the press that He was like a dope fiend himself and he had to abandon the scheme But I think now people are more open to that because now I think especially in the UK like a lot more uh, local police forces are adopting a similar sort of policy So I think there's some room for change.
1: And also as well, I mean, we're always told about how our country's broke or the US is broke. It's a guaranteed revenue earner, isn't it? Just for tax. You legalize it, you tax it, let the dollars or the pounds flow in.
2: Yeah, I read, was it last year, maybe this year, that in Colorado where they legalized, I think the the amount of tax they have in one year, it's hit the $1 billion mark. So imagine that, like when they said about, what's it, like 250 million for the uh, NHS? Hmm. We could raise that so in Gange, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put you in charge, Yeah, you, you look like you're ready to
1: go, man. <laughs> There's a big backpack over there that's ready to roll. Um, look, there is a very serious question there. So you were talking about uh, former police chief of Brixton, and Brixton is a community, uh, you know, the Caribbean community, yeah, who yeah. have been targeted. Because, you know, especially with Rastafarianism, you know, they yeah, smoke, yeah, it's yeah. part of their religion to smoke weed and all the rest of it. But that is a community that has been targeted and demonized and arrested yeah. constantly for smoking weed, selling weed, all the rest of it.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's something we see around the world. So, like, you see it with, like, the Arabs in France or, like, in, uh, in Russia with, like, Central Asians and gypsies. And I think that creates, and in America, obviously, with black people and also Hispanics. So I think that creates a sort of very corrosive cycle because you're arresting people on mass. They go to jail. They're not going to learn anything good in jail. They're, meanwhile, their family's broken up. Their kids like running on the streets without a dad. They come out. They have like this sort of brought this sort of jailhouse mentality with them. So if their kid isn't already in a gang, they're probably going to get fucked up by this point. And then we wonder like, oh, why didn't these communities get their act together? Because you keep throwing them in jail. You don't, like, give them a chance to kind of evolve. Whereas, uh, for example, the uh, the Asian community in America
0: hasn't been as targeted. And they're flourishing. Uh, and are the rates of drug use the same in the Asian community in America as they, they are for others? i um, not sure. Probably about the same, yeah. That's interesting. Because that would be interesting to explore. I'm not sure how true that is. Because... Uh, Part of it is cultural, as you said, right? Different people from different backgrounds do different things. Um, So in terms of the... Well, actually, let me ask you this. Since you you were arrested with MDMA, do you think all drugs should be legalized? I
2: don't think we have to legalize all drugs, but I think we should uh, legalize at least a core of drugs. So, for example, I don't think it's necessary to legalize crystal meth, for example. I not think that would be a good thing for society. Why? Uh, because it's just insane shit. <laughs> it, the,
0: the, what, so what you're basically saying is the consequences of people using that drug are so bad yeah. that it shouldn't be legal. Which I suppose is the argument that people who think marijuana or whatever... Are bad are well, also well, making right, uh, except it's not factual uh, in my opinion.
2: Let, let let me um let me expand on that. So basically, uh, so meth is a stimulant at the end of the day, mm. but if you legalized, like for example, if you made like a legal version of uh, cocaine or uh, MDMA, it's it's another amphetamine like crystal meth. I think you would take away a lot of the the market for meth anyway. You also didn't need to lock up the user, but you'd also take a big chunk of the market away. So, for example, right now, we have this problem with spice, right? Mm. Like, especially among homeless people and in prisons. Uh, I never smoked in prison. I, I only got the, I only got the real massively overpriced prison weed. But people do smoke it in prison. Uh, but they... Sorry,
1: Nico, can you just explain to what Spice is? Because we've got listeners and viewers from all around the world. They might not be aware of that. And also we have listeners and viewers
0: who don't take drugs. So they are a <laughs> yeah. small minority, of course.
1: But...
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Spice, it's like a kind of fake chemical weed, uh, which originally came about because like, weed is illegal. So people tried, uh, chemists invented it to kind of get around the law because weed is banned, but this isn't yet. Mm. Um, so, But the problem with that is, whereas we've had like decades of research of cannabis, we know what it does, it makes you hungry, sleepy, your Doritos are going to be gone in the morning. But uh, with Spice, we don't fully know what it does and could be and in fact usually is like a lot more dangerous, like the risk of psychosis is much higher. Um, I don't really know that much about it, to be honest, but from what I saw of it in jail, it looks like nasty shit. But people wouldn't smoke that if they had the alternative available. If they could smoke cannabis, mm. so people—not as many people, I think—would uh, take crystal meth because if they're looking for a buzz, they could take something safer instead. So something uh, so they could take ecstasy, they could take cocaine,
0: they could take like a weaker
2: amphetamine.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is the legalization of certain drugs would take away the demand. For these more harmful, more dangerous drugs, yeah, right. So, which drugs, in your opinion, should remain illegal, other than crystal meth, which you've already said?
2: Um, well, it depends how you how you define. Because I think they should be legalized, but in different ways. Okay. So, for example, okay. like uh, something like weed, I think like you should be able to sell that like the same you do with al- as alcohol. Like you have the age checks, um, getting like special shop or whatever. Um, it's more interesting for something like heroin, uh, so I don't think heroin should be sold
0: in like waitros next to the frozen fish <laughs> aisle, you know, just in little, <laughs> <laughs> and next to the buggies and the fucking yeah. screwdrivers or whatever. Yeah. Can I
1: imagine that? So, <laughs> Sainsbury's tastes a <of> difference, heroin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Every little helps. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's not heroin. Uh, yeah. uh, oh shit, it is heroin.
2: All right, yeah. mm. but um. So, but what they've done in some countries like, uh, I think Switzerland and mm. Netherlands and Germany is they put it on prescription and you can only get in special clinics. So you go in, get your smack, shoot up like in the presence of a nurse. I didn't think there's a record, of, or at least I haven't found a record of anyone ever ODing at these places because it's under medical supervision. Mm. It's all pure, so they don't, they don't know what dose they're getting. And it's free, so they don't have to go around boosting TVs like train spotting. Mm. So that that's how like um, uh, heroin would be legalized, in my mm. opinion. Mm. And in fact, I think we actually had that system in Britain until the 80s, when Reagan got involved and told Thatcher to cut this shit out. And I think since the 80s, like the number of smack addicts has grown actually in- exponentially. Because they also have a motive to introduce, get other people hooked as well. It's like a pyramid scheme. So they're selling to support their habit to get other people's hooked and so on. Mm. Well,
1: that's very, very interesting. So you're saying that heroin, it should be licensed, but essentially for people who are addicted to heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about cocaine? Because with cocaine, it's very interesting. You have cocaine, obviously the powder, but then you have crack. Yeah. And they are two completely different types of drugs. Would you legalize both or just legalize well, cocaine? actually the same drug.
0: They're the same drug. They're, they're consumed differently, but fundamentally it's the same drug. But the yeah. hit
1: that you get from crack is a lot. Well, I defer yeah. to your expertise yeah, yeah. on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the customers have been saying. <laughs>
2: that's a, That's a good question. I'm not... I'm not fully sure about cocaine because, like, I think it's one of the most, like, uh, like next to alcohol, actually, it's one of the most mm. dangerous, toxic things you could put in your body. Is it really? Like, more so than heroin. Like, you, if you took pure heroin, like they do at those clinics every day for 20 years, you might get a bit constipated, but, like, you won't really suffer any long-term damage. Whereas if you're drinking every day or if you're... Snorting a lion every day, you'd have some serious heart problems, liver problems. Um, so yeah, it's a, Coke's an interesting one because it does make people, some people act like dicks. Um, <laughs> that's a mild understatement. I don't, I don't, I don't have the answers that one, but I'm sure there's like some, some middle ground. I think that definitely Coca tea, which they have in South America, which is legal in a lot of South America, which is basically like a cup of coffee. I think that's. I. I think there shouldn't be any restrictions on that at all. Mm. I mean, in theory, you could go to like ASDA, buy like thirty kilos of coca leaves, and make like one gram of coke. But I think you know, if you're that determined, fair play to you.
1: <laughs> but but it's also as well because I mean, London has a huge cocaine problem.
2: It is. Like I saw, it's like in the top maybe it's the top city in Europe for cocaine consumption i don't remember but there was a headline last mm. week
1: yeah that, that would make complete sense yeah so do you not think it would it would it would it's just better if we just go look you can buy it you know the government will regulate it they'll t-, and instead of what happens now which is yeah. quite literally you go to a toilet in a pub and you have to wait 10 minutes because someone's snorting <sighs> coke in there
0: just take the toilets out of the cocaine room, man. Problem
1: solved.
0: <laughs> uh, Nika, I wanted to ask you about uh, kind of crime and prison and mm-hmm. the kind of the drug dealer mindset, if you like. Like, when, How did you get into selling drugs? Um, well, I'm not going to lie. I am disgustingly middle class.
2: Uh, so I guess I was also kind of very insecure I was quite a weak person I guess so I kind of I always and I got picked on a lot for being like always being the new kid for being the foreign kid so I kind of wanted to prove myself but I was too much of like a little bitch to be like a real gangster to just like rob people and stuff so I thought like if I did like drugs I'd have like some more respect I'd have more friends I'd have more money it just seemed like an easy way out. If you keep bullying Russians, <laughs> I'm
1: going to start
0: dealing drugs, man. That's how it's going <laughs> and
1: this podcast will become profitable. Uh, yeah, but how
0: did you? What I mean is, like, okay, that's that was your situation as a kid. Mm. How do you go from that to suddenly you're selling drugs to people? Because you have to go and buy them from somebody. Yeah. you have to like be like, okay, I'm a drug dealer. Now. Do you know what I mean? I kind of got into
2: like my sort of um, my, do- my door. My um, door. I got my foot through the door through. Um, Illegal rave parties. So there's a lot of that going on, and also legal, legal rave parties, a lot of that going on in Bristol. Uh, I'm not going to name the clubs or the places involved, but it's, they're not hard to find. <laughs> um, so Bristol has like a huge drum and bass scene. Uh, also, perhaps coincidentally, a huge ketamine scene, um, like a huge sidetron scene. So I just kept going to those. Uh, eventually, I got introduced to people, and there, from there, it's quite easy. So like. You meet people, then you meet more people, and it's like a mushrooming network, you know? So Mm. I started out very much uh, selling XC at Rave. So I was like, I was the dodgy guy sitting in the corner going, weed, pills, weed, pills. Right. And, um,
0: yeah, eventually that moved on to Coke. And is there, I mean, I I don't mean this to sound judgmental. I'm just trying to understand. Is there at any point a part of you that goes, what I'm doing is wrong.
2: Not really. Like, the time when I did see afterwards, like, I did see, like, the misery of addiction and what drugs can do to people. That was only afterwards when I was proactively looking for that stuff in my book. Mm. Like, it's not all sunshine and roses. Like, I had to... I actually met... Um, met a guy called... Um, Ray... I forgot his the surname. The surname... Uh, surname evades me but um he's a he's a former teacher from the isle of Wight. no the isle of man sorry and he lost both his sons to ecstasy in one night which was pretty fucked up like they went to a football game and they didn't come back and it turns out that they they were later found on the second floor of a pub hmm. and they'd taken like six times the the lethal dose of ecstasy jesus and that was, like, a very shocking st- story really stuck with me mm. um, because it tells you, shows you what this stuff can do. And, but when I was meeting Ray, um, it's like I had this sort of, like, really tight feeling in my stomach because I thought he'd be the kind of guy, you know, who'd hate my guts but really has the same standpoint as me. So, like, if they... Because um, when you're buying drugs, even from, from someone like me, uh, you don't really know what you're getting. There isn't like a warning label saying, you know, may contain nuts.
1: Hmm. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that's the biggest problem.
2: <laughs> yeah. So like if they knew what they were getting, mm. if they knew what the exact dose and what the the hel- like the healthy dose for other people was, and uh, if they got it from a shop or whatever, like a licensed shop, they could mm. check the ingredients, they'd still be alive today. Yeah. So his standpoint was essentially the same as mine.
1: And... Where do you stand on, you know, because you were talking about, you know, you started dealing in illegal raves, at illegal raves. I'm sure that you probably did it, like you said, at certain nightclubs. Where do you stand with the whole, uh, what the police do, which is they shut a nightclub down if drug dealers are found to be operating in there, as to happen to Fabric earlier this year?
2: Well, they'll just go somewhere else. People just go where the party is. Like, so are you going to shut down all the clubs in London? Okay, people are just going to throw warehouse parties. Or parties in the fields like they did back in the '90s. Like it's um, it's called the balloon effect. So you crack down on drugs in one place, it just pops up somewhere else. So like see Pablo Escobar got killed in what '92,
1: '93. A great man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Colombian <Sorry. laughs> cartels came tumbling a short time after yeah. the Cali cartel went down. Then what happened? Like the drug business just moved to Mexico. Mexico is now the the most important nation for drug trafficking in the Western Hemisphere.
1: Mm. So and and but why do you think we we need to take drugs? Because surely you know
0: this, that's quite a loaded question. I'm not sure we necessarily need to take drugs. No, no, the but, question just to make this I mean? podcast entertaining. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's, but, that's how it works. But but I think I think people do need to. I mean, <laughs> they do need to take drugs. <laughs> How <laughs> how many people take drugs on this planet and it's more than the people... That doesn't mean do. they
0: need to. It might mean that they are genetically predisposed to or they might f- feel like taking them. It doesn't mean they need to. Yeah. You need to breathe oxygen. You don't necessarily need to take drugs. The message of trigonometry <laughs> is not that you need to take drugs is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to preempt all the fucking libel suits or whatever that's going to come after this shit.
2: Yeah. Well, that's actually... Um, Especially in the last few years, there's been quite a lot of research that in some ways, uh, some drugs in some ways can be good for you. Like right now, there's a lot of research in America about um, using MDMA for treating PTSD. So they're trying it now on uh, war veterans, people coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan. And I think uh, the the organization is called MAPS. I forgot what it stands for, but it's called MAPS. You guys can look it up. And I think they had like an 81% success rate for treating PTSD. Uh, so that's quite good. And um, another thing, another avenue that's being explored now is psychedelics, and how the, how they can kind of change your way of thinking and thinking around the box. Uh, so when I came out of prison, uh, because like I said earlier, it's very easy to fixate on certain things in prison. So I became fixated this one girl that I knew, and I basically became a stalker for a bit. Um, and flash forward like two years later, I'm, uh, I'm in the Amazon, about two hours away from any, anything that could be described as civilization. I'm in like a hut with a shaman, and he gives me this. Uh, well, they call it a tea, but it just tastes like ass. It's, uh, <laughs> it's called ayahuasca. It's like it contains DMT, which is like the most powerful psychedelic in the history of man. So I drank that, Um, a lot of shit happened, I won't go into all of it, but um, I went to Kermit-land. Kermit the Frog took me on like this odyssey down the river. Um, It makes you throw up a lot, and I turned to throw up and into a bucket. The bucket was actually there, that wasn't me tripping. But who was holding the bucket but Rafiki from The Lion King. And he was looking at me like, "Mm, you come with Rafiki, he know the way. (laughs) And I just vomited and then I saw there were like a million jaguar faces in the bucket going in a spiral. They didn't look happy at what I've just done. Um, But it also made me like reassess my life from a lot of points of view. And it helped me get over like a lot of my kind of, not sure if that's the word, but like my trauma or my fixations from prison. And it's not an issue for me anymore because it helped me see outside the box that I
0: kind of put myself in, my s- mental cell, as it were. Mm. Well, I guess the question you were really asking before I rudely interrupted yeah. you just to make a joke was, why is it that people are drawn to taking drugs? What, like there is Johan Harry who talks about the fact yeah. that it's a way of dealing with trauma. Uh, what, what, how, what do you think drives people to take certain drugs?
2: Uh, do you mean like drives people to just use drugs or drives them specifically to like addiction and bad stuff
0: i guess both you can I take think, them one at a time
2: uh well just drugs it's the same uh same reason for us uh, um drinking a cup of coffee or like have, smoking a cigarette talking with your friends going for a walk playing sports or whatever it's just a uh, It's just something to do. It's just a way to be sociable, to be happy. Um, Having a drink, it's the same thing. What happens with addiction is, so obviously like thousands of people snort lines across the whole of London every Saturday night, right? But only like a small portion of them go on to do it like compulsively where it's like 5 a.m. on a Monday and they're still doing coke. So, like, I think with a lot of those people, like one a friend of mine, um, she can be described as, a, let's say, a problem Coke user. And um, she got raped a lot when she was a kid. She was, like, six to nine years old, I think. She was repeatedly raped by a family friend. So, I think, like, for a lot of people, I get addicted. And the same with hard drinking. They're kind of trying to numb the pain in their lives, trying to get over something. Um Some hang up they have some trauma they have, and I think that's eventually that 's where kind of the chemical hooks gradually set in, and that 's when you start having a problem mm.
1: and do you think that when you look at let's say like let 's take a drug like cocaine right so you have to go to a drug dealer to get it, you buy the drugs you then have to find a place where nobody's seeing you in order to take the drug, and then you know the entire process make it gives a sort of glamour to it doesn't it? a sort of dark, dirty glamour that if you went and you just bought it in a shop somewhere, a licensed shop, it just wouldn't have.
2: Yeah, it feels a bit naughty.
1: Yeah. And do you think that's part of it? That, you know, people feel it's naughty, therefore they want to do it more?
2: I think, you know, that could there could be something to that. Cause if you look at if you look at the Netherlands, you know, look at Amsterdam, all their coffee shops, you know, the Bulldog, uh Dutch people don't actually smoke that much weed. Like compared to us, I'd say most of the people Smoking weed in Amsterdam are Brits and a stag do and French teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's some so, something in that sort of forbidden fruit appeal. Um, there's also kind of, I think, here in Britain, we have, like, uh, highest rates of, like, binge drinking on the continent. Mm. Or at least in Western Europe, like... Russia's a whole other mind. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, somewhere like in France, they don't really have that problem because people just drink, have a glass of wine with their parents when they're like 13, 14, and like they're kind of eased into it. They they know not to overdo it from an early age. So, I think, yeah, I think there's something in that definitely.
0: And and what about, uh, I I just want to come back to this start of your kind of drug dealing career because it doesn't occur to you that any of this is wrong you you're selling these drugs do you have like to, you obviously have to avoid the police you have to think about that stuff even at that point it doesn't it doesn't cross your mind and again i don't mean this in a yeah, judgmental yeah, yeah. way i'm mm. just trying to get into the mindset it doesn't cross your mind that what you're doing is wrong
2: yeah like it, obviously i i know it's illegal but i don't see it as um as wrong as like a bad thing as like an immoral thing because for me there's a big difference between uh, what's moral and what's legal? Yeah. So, for example, like um, the people who hid Anne Frank during World War II, they were acting illegally under yeah. the German occupation, but I wouldn't say they were acting mm. immorally. Obviously, I'm not comparing myself <laughs> to that. But like, let's say, um, uh, like a rum runner during the prohibition, uh, during the American prohibition, someone who smuggled whiskey in from Canada. Like, it's illegal. The government says it's wrong, but you know, everyone drinks. All your friends drink. Like it doesn't really occur to you that it that it's like an immoral, bad, evil thing. All
0: right, and then you get arrested. Yeah. And what happens mentally at that point for you? That was that was
2: a big shock to the system because um, no one ever thinks they're getting caught. Otherwise, mm. they wouldn't do it. That's why I think like,
0: things like the death penalty don't work because no one thinks they get caught in the first place. Um, There's a lot of evidence for that, actually, that it's not the, the extent of the punishment, but the certainty of being the arrested. The likelihood, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Th- That has a much bigger effect on offending. So if people yeah. think that they're going to get a slap on the wrist, but it's 100%. they're much less likely to do things than if they're going to get a really bad punishment, but it's like 10% chance of it happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't think you were going to get caught like most people, and then bam, you get caught. Yeah. Also, for a while, uh, I feel like by
2: being like a sort of white middle class student, I'd been in a few situations with the police before where I did either get just a slap on the wrist or they didn't even suspect me to begin with. So that kind of made me more kind of arrogant, I guess, mm. or careless. I don't know what the right word here would be. But when I actually did get caught, it's just like, there's once that metal door slams shut, you you think like, oh shit, oh shit, what do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And for a while, like I was pretty not calm, but like my mind didn't really accept it uh except that this was real until I actually got sent down for two and a half years and then uh then I went a bit insane because I was like okay I'm here now no one's gonna rescue me Batman's not gonna come busting in through the window and then I immediately started thinking of things to do and like I calculated my sentence down to the second and I started like counting down like (laughs) 1,900,099, and so on. And then I eventually, I gave up after about an hour when I realized this actually wasn't making time go fast. It was making it a lot lot slower. Right.
1: Hmm. And do you think, from your experience, which prison were you in? I was in
2: two prisons. First, I was in... uh, HMP Tempside, which is all right, you know. We had a... <laughs> You'd recommend it.
1: Yeah. Five stars. <laughs> yeah, better than a travel lodge. Yeah. And then the other one? It's the Hilton of Prisons. <laughs> yeah.
2: And the other one was right next door is the appropriately named HMP ISIS, which was just a shitbox. We mm. called it crisis.
1: Right, yeah. okay. Now, so you, you, had, you, had, you spent a significant amount of time in prison. Does it work as a way to rehabilitate offenders? From what you saw? Mm,
2: nah, I think maybe with sort of like uh, medium term offenders, maybe. Actually, I don't know because uh, while I was there, I'd sometimes see people get released and I'd see them come back out.
0: Come back in? Come back in,
2: come yeah. back yeah. in, sorry, yeah. And it was just over just the stupidest shit. I mean, no, like some people do take the uh, the opportunity to change their lives around but you really have to be kind of determined to do that because when you're in jail everything is actually against you. you're surrounded by your fellow co-conspirators um, you make new links um, especially in ISIS which is an offender's institution there's a lot of street gangs uh, like postcode wars and stuff so it's very easy to get drawn into that um, yeah I think uh, apart from like. like violent offenders and kiddie fiddlers, I don't think people should really be sent to prison as much as they are now. It seemed to work for you, though. Well, I got a bunch of new material. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, but my point is you're doing something very different now to what you were doing before, right? That is true. And it sounds like prison was for you a wake-up call. Is that fair to say? Mm. Sounds like a no to tell us what it was like. I think it's more uh in my case
2: it's because I had a have a strong family, so my family's still supporting me. But I think if I didn't think if uh what my mama thought of all this wasn't constantly on my mind as well, I think that I could have very easily gone back and been a bigger drug dealer. I've got links to like Russia, Uzbekistan, Brazil, Bulgaria now all over the place. Like if I didn't have and a lot of the people in um In prison, they come from either one-parent households or sometimes no-parent households. So I think for them, it's a lot more difficult. Mm.
1: And were steps taken to try and rehabilitate you, to try and give you other skills that you could perhaps use on the outside, or were you just sort of left to it?
2: Well, for me, I was already doing my master's by that point. So like... That sort of little bullshit IT class that I did on the side Mm. didn't really help much. I just used that for uh, writing and printing off letters because I was too lazy to write them in my cell. Mm. Um, But one thing that's interesting, the um, painting and decorating course is very popular. So I bet I'm going to say that some like nine out of ten painters and decorators in this country are probably ex-cons. (laughs) really
0: really wow (laughs) i'm now having my house redecorated again Um, i'm just messing but um what so you you talked about how when you are in prison you have a lot of time to think about stuff uh is the environment that you're in a big factor in why we see that the mental health epidemic is so 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 prevalent and so terrible in jails
2: yeah absolutely i mean especially now like in the last few years because of all the cutbacks so i even when i was in i think 2016 that's when they really started kicking up but even when i was in prison like the officers were warning like there's going to be riots when they start buying tobacco they start doing cutbacks so um our prison isis they basically cut half the stuff (laughs) Um, wow so that means that they couldn't run half the prison effectively at any given time. Mm-hmm. So half the prison was shut down so we could be in our cells for up to 23 and a half hours a day. Like, they let us out for
1: our like compulsory exercise and that's it. And what, what what effect is that like mentally being in the room for 23 and a half hours?
2: Well, I'll tell you, Jeremy Kyle gets boring real quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's... you do
0: have a TV and stuff, but it...
2: Yeah, yeah, you have a TV. Uh, if you behave yourself, you get a TV. I think the TV is a good thing because if it wasn't there, we'd have a lot more rides. That's how strange ways happen, pretty much, because people are just like you see people in newspapers say, "Yeah, it's toughen up our prison. It's just a holiday camp." Uh, I think those people have been taking the wrong holidays, <laughs> and I also think that. Uh, that's how, that's how riots happen. Like When you toughen up prisons, you don't make people learn their lesson. You make people more mentally deranged. Mm. Um, you get this sort of weird thinking about time that you don't have on the outside. You're always counting down. So you're always thinking, like, okay, now it's 12 o'clock. I'm going to have lunch in an hour or whatever. Um, 6 o'clock, Simpsons going to be on Channel 4. 10 o'clock, I'm going to go to bed. Um, five more days of this then it's the weekend i get more visit two more weeks till the end of the month three more months till the end of the year one more year till i'm released like you don't think about that in the real world Mm. you don't think of time that way
0: Mm. and that can really really fuck with your mind And one one other thing I wanted to ask you about, obviously a lot of our impressions about prison are actually taken from American movies. Yeah. So it's the Shawshank Redemption. The um, What's the one with... uh, The Green Mile. The Green Mile. What's the one with Edward Norton? Um, So American American History X. American History X, right? So it's all about violence, sexual violence, etc. What is the situation like for someone like you, who, as you say, is a white middle-class kid going in on a relatively short stint compared to maybe some of the other people in the prison uh, in terms of you know being assaulted, being beaten up, and stuff like that?
2: Actually, no, I was fine. Um, I used to work out a lot more back then. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a lot bigger. Um, I don't... I tried to be, like, respectful to anyone. I wasn't involved in any of the gang stuff, so I was fine pretty much. But I did see, like, a lot of stuff go down. Um, Saw so one guy... Get hit in the eye with like a tuna can in a sock, and he was walking around looking like two faced from Batman for about a week mm. um there's a lot of um I think we've told people enough illegal shit for the podcast. There's a lot of uh stabbings with let's say sharpened toothbrushes like toothbrushes with uh, little razor blades attached
0: melted into the yeah. thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. uh I'm not gonna tell you guys how to do that no. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, but but the reason I ask about it, what I mean is, is there a lot of that going on? Yeah. Uh, and why is it going on? You, you mentioned like the gang stuff. So if you, as a person, you you're in prison, you're not part of a gang. Yeah. Are you generally going to be all right as long as you don't, if you're not being addicted to people or whatever?
2: I think uh, yeah, especially in like the um, the big man jail. So like, I was in uh, ISIS is a young offender, so eighteen to twenty five. Uh, there was one 28-year-old there by mistake. He wasn't happy. But like, again, yeah, in an adult prison, uh, I think most people just want to kind of do their time and get on with it, really. Young offenders, it's different. You have a lot more bullying, a lot more intimidation. Uh, just because there it's just full of young wannabe gangsters want to prove themselves. Mm. But yeah, generally, it's not as bad as, as they say, but it's still, it can be pretty bad.
1: It can, so your way of, do, of getting through it was essentially keeping your head down. Yeah. Did you make any sort of connections there? Did you, did you meet people? Or is it something that you just literally went, I'm not going to talk to anyone. It's going to be a year. I'm just going to have tunnel vision every day. I'm just going to keep my nah, interactions.
2: That's, that's impossible. You'll go crazy from that. Uh, no, nah, I, I try to make friends. There's always like a couple of cool people in each wing. Um, I remember there was one group... Which everyone called the Russians, <laughs> <laughs> which was basically consist of me, the only actual Russian, about six Lithuanian guys who get really pissed off if you call them Polish, <laughs> and then one Uzbek guy. But everyone just called us Russia because they didn't bother with geography. But that then it also like means the when English. someone shouted Russia across the wing, about eight people would turn around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were cool, um, just played cards all day, really, yeah, there's a lot of, oh, um, met the guy who stabbed Professor Green, he was an interesting character, uh, the Uzbek guy, he stole, uh, I think, three million pounds, um, sending viruses to banks and then siphoning off the money, but he fucked up. When um, one day he forgot to turn the encryption on his laptop, so they traced all to his IP address, and yeah, he got done for like fraud, money laundering, all kinds of shit.
1: So that's really interesting. So the, it's almost you know it's survival, isn't it? You yeah. go in there and then you you kind of meet like-minded people. Yeah, you have to. You you have to, and that's the way you you get through it. But you don't think it works for the vast majority of people. Like really, it should be about rehabilitation. It should be about Bringing someone in, trying to do your best to fix and give them skills yeah. so that they can survive in the outside world.
2: That's what they do in Norway. Actually, Norway has a like a really good prison system. Um, they, I think, they even have internet there. I think Anders Breivik isn't allowed internet. He can't like go Instagram his fellow Nazis. But most prisons, they're allowed internet. Like some, it's it's like school library internet. So like, obviously, a bunch of stuff is filtered. But, yeah, you can still talk to your family. Um, the sentence, their sentences are a lot shorter, I think. And some prisons, like, you can just walk around. You don't have to be, like, bang up 6 o'clock in yourself for the rest of the night. And I think their, their reoffending rate, Norway it's something like
0: 15%. Whereas with us, I think it's something closer to half. Wow! So every person, every other person who comes out of prison is going to go back in.
2: Yeah, I don't quote me on the exact statistic, yeah. but it is much higher than normal. More or less, maybe a third or forty percent, something like that.
1: And you must have encountered people where you just looked at them and they just thought, "Look, we we need to rehabilitate people. We need to give everyone a chance." But you must have met the odd person who was like, "There's no fucking way you should be outside."
2: Oh man, there are these two guys. Um, so what were those? Um those two french um like cartoon characters got of them's big and the other one's small and like they fight the romans asterix it's and, and obelix yeah. yeah there's all these two guys that looked exactly like asterix and obelix and the big fat one he was a fucking psycho man like I, I was cool with him but like some people don't need to be in jail and some people need to be in jail and he definitely needs to be in jail mm.
1: Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Astrid.
0: Let's hope he never comes out and finds out and starts watching trigonometry. Um, Thanks for coming, Nico. I recommend everybody get this book and read it. It's uh, it's a great read. And like I said, it weaves his personal story with a lot of facts and research into the drug war. It's it's a really good read. Uh, Thanks for sending us a copy. And uh, as always, uh, follow you're on Twitter, but you're not very active on there, right? Or are you? My Twitter game is weak. Yeah, your Twitter (laughs) game. So don't follow him on Twitter, but follow us. And we'll see you again in a week from now with another brilliant
1: episode. Take care. See you next week, guys. Thanks for watching,
0: guys. As always, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the bell button next to the subscribe button so you get notified when a video comes out. And follow us on all the social media at TriggerPod.
1: And also, leave us a nice review on iTunes and spread the word.